I just love that <laughs> intro. I'm sorry. Every time I just feel like it's like I'm in a rocking chair, you know, at a nursing home or something in the mountains. It just feels. Yep. I don't know. Mike Hanks is sitting over there. He's just, right. you know, he's just going at it, man. Talking away. You guys Sun are is setting. Head. Mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> hey, welcome back to an afternoon edition, a UK edition of Calling All Beings Fireside Chat, a name that Deb came up with. No, she's not aware of FDR. He did not exist. Uh, my name, <laughs> I'm yeah, your host, DJ, yes, I know. Along, along with the co-creator of this joint. Nathan, how are you, my friend? I'm great, man. Happy Saturday. I'm so excited for this show. Two people that I have been dying to talk with uh, again and again. I mean, they're just awesome people. Great to have them on. Debs, what is up, my research homie? Thanks for calling me a couple times this weekend and brightening my damn day. Yes, well, frankly, I'm very excited for this show also. <laughs> That's what's up, people. To be frank, that's what's going on. To be frank, be it with a K or a C, it just you're you're British. You're both badasses. I love it. So let's start off with the UFO thinker, the former professional drummer and music teacher turned UFO analyst. Party people, put those hands together for the John Bonham of Bolton, baby, Frank Jones. Yes. Love it. John Bonham of Bolton. <laughs> Absolutely I, love it. Get it, amen. <laughs> amen, amen. Welcome, yes. sir. All right. Another one of these brothers is a man I've got to have some extension, uh, extensive conversations with. Not only do we share a military background where this guy was a British uh, royal paratrooper, badass, but then he decided to clean himself up a little bit. He dusted off his camos and got into the intel world where he was still – uh, breaking necks and cashing checks. So, uh, <laughs> part and and he's still in the game as a consultant. So, party people, put those hands together for my man, F R A N C Milburn. Yes. Yes. Breaking welcome. necks and cashing checks, baby. Always. <laughs> How do you like me now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got that. All right, so uh, welcome to the Fireside Chat. This is a format. Uh, this was uh, Deb's idea. And basically the format you're going to see today is, uh, you know, we may ask some some questions. For example, you know, what weight of drumsticks does Frank use? And, you know, what is, is uh, the other Frank's favorite uh, technique for, for uh, killing an enemy soldier? Um, so those questions could be asked. But other than that, it's kind of a, 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 a roundtable format where anybody can bring up a, a topic that they so choose and will, in fact, do so. Um, so, you know, some of the things I had lined up for Ask Nathan, maybe maybe we'll come out on this one. <laughs> it's going to be a fun chat. All right. So, uh, so anyway, um, Nathan, take it away, man. Yeah, okay. So I'm going to start with one that, uh, you know, to me, <laughs> I'm dying to know your thoughts on this. So let's go around. What is the thing you're tired of hearing about in the UFO conversation? Other than me. Uh, so that's... <laughs> You know, you just feel like we've beat that horse to death and it's uh, it's time to time to move on. Whoa, we lost Frank. We lost we lost bald Frank. He'll be back. He'll be back. He was having a little connection issue. He'll be back. Yeah. I want to ask Frank Beard to start us off, though. Frank, you've been covering this extensively. Uh, I know you do a lot of deep dives. You know, what's something that you're just like, ah, here we go again. I got to I don't really want to listen to this anymore. Well, I I think probably, you know, 
I'm not sure if this is specifically to do with UFOs. It's probably in other aspects of life in general, but just unnecessary drama, I think, is probably the thing that I'm sick of hearing about. You know, ever since kind of getting involved in this topic, there's just waves of, of nonsense drama and could do without it, you know, essentially. It's just one of those things where, I mean, it's, there's a distinction there as well where it's not like, disagreements that's an issue because that's absolutely fine but you know mm -hmm. when there's kind of any any kind of like uh you know personal attacks and things like that it's just totally unnecessary and and right. that is definitely an aspect of the, the topic where you know I, th I think we could uh we could get rid of that and i would be quite happy you know i love that let me ask a second part to this question what would you like to hear more of so we'll hear we'll hear what you're tired of and then what you'd like to hear more of data dense cases mm, you know you like we need what we need is the new the new nimitz you know because obviously we've heard about the nimitz till the cows come home i've talked about it on about seven thousand five hundred different shows that i've done over the course of the last couple of years and I've, I've always got a lot of love for that particular that particular case you know all of the various different corroborated witnesses and you know it's even got video it's got all of those uh you know the the radar operators the pilots and everything those are the kind of cases that I, I want to hear more about, you know, those those kinds of things. You can comb through thousands of videos online, and at the end of the day, most of them don't have all that big picture data, and that, that's what I would like to see more of. I know it's kind of it's almost like a cliche, you know, like that that's the, the golden holy grail of kind of UFO cases, but there are you know, from the sounds of things, more of those kind of cases being held behind the scenes. And we only need a couple more of those to really add some some serious weight to, you know, the conversation. Love that. Thank you. All right, Frank Bald, let's hear from you on these two <laughs> topics. <laughs> Frank C. Um, Just so yeah, folks know, he said it was okay for the um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Frank. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah, it's, I'm tired to draw as well. Um, like Frank Beard said, um, discussion is fine and uh you know having an opinion is fine to get some personal attacks um personally then i'll put the round so i want to hear less of that um, i'd like to see more of they said okay they don't want to release more videos for various reasons i'd like to what i'd like to see is um uh, platforms and sources that americans brits five eyes nato have from like the 60s and the 70s which uh obsolescent now uh, russia tehran know about and i'd like you know imagery and and data from those released because they can be released now because it doesn't compromise any national security love it hey, i i just want to say frank if any of your cats are gaming right now they may be using up some of the bandwidth um for your internet because you're coming in choppy so please tell them to turn off the xbox if they haven't had their little paws in there <laughs> oh, sorry, mate. Yeah, I, I did actually kill the VPN and I reconnected. So let's see how it goes. Okay, mate. Cool. Thank you. DJ, what about you? Uh, what, what I'm tired of listening to. And what you would like to hear more of. Well, I'd like to hear more of people sort of um, uh, coalescing around an idea that this is a real thing. And let's talk about figuring out what it is and looking at the, the, the parts and pieces of it that our experiencers are, are, are reporting to us because they're other than uh, other than what Frank talked about, where we have, you know, professional witnesses with sensors and, and uh, radars that are capturing data. 
than our best um, evidence gatherers are our, our, our experiences who are interacting with them on a conscious and unconscious level, on a person level, they're receiving downloads, there's all sorts of things. And if we could get going on that discussion and just enjoy that and um, kicking around the different theories without um, sort of saying it's this or it's that. Again, you guys have heard me say this ad nauseum. Nathan probably wants to slap me right now, but there's a computer screen preventing him from doing so. But it could be this or that as opposed to uh, uh, this and that as opposed to this or that. So if we don't get rude, and you know, the Bigfoot community has the same thing. It's either this or it's that. Well, maybe it's both. You, you, we don't know. But let's talk about what, what, what leads us to, to some of those hypotheses. And what I'd like to hear less of is people sort of um, attacking content and content creators, and let's engage in a discussion about the phenomenon, which is why we came here, as opposed to in the absence of ideas about the phenomenon, we're just gonna try to attack other content creators. So that's what I'd like to hear less of. And let's Great. focus on what we're talking about. I love it, thank you. Deb, what about you? I am so tired of the term Zeta Reticuli. <laughs> <laughs> and Bob Lazar, apologize to Deb right now. Mm, and sorry, I'm ahead. tired of the term reptilian. There's so much controversy with those. They're really not helping the topic move forward. I think we just need to say non-human intelligence or others or something and kind of avoid those pitfalls. Um, and I'd like to get more data and patterns. I like to look at the overall picture. And I think it's a lot more um, helpful if we just all get on the same page and see what the overall picture really is. Love it. Love it. Excellent. Yeah, no, I, and I'll just add on to, to this, too. So uh, I'm tired of the OSAP A-tip conversation. Every time I see OSAP A-tip, <laughs> I just throw it in the trash can. <laughs> I don't care about that anymore. Uh, or just we don't care who there had is. which funding and which program was the parent yeah. or the or the sub uh, sub program. We don't care. Thank There's you. not even a horse anymore. We beat right. it into nothingness. Um, yeah. So, and I'd love to hear. I, I loved your answer, uh, Frank Beard, to that. Uh, I'd, I'd love to see uh, some more movement in the scientific community. Just more folks like Avi Loeb, more academics stepping forward. I think we're going to see that. Um, you know, kind of from the quote unquote private area, but private spaces in academia, I'd like to see some some greater enthusiasm and concerted focus on this topic and what it might mean for all of us. Yeah, I, I personally, I loved uh, both of, uh, I love Deb's answer and, and Nathan's answer both had provided some, some funnies uh, because they, they are so interesting. Zeta Reticuli. <laughs> That was great, man. But hey, man, that's what uh, you know. Bob said he read in that that pre-brief that he got when he when he signed into a five one. What I was going to ask, I'm going to ask this one of uh, Frank uh, with a C. Frank, what do you um, if if you were some, some of these things you 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 actually know um, in in actuality? So we, I want to be careful, but. If there is one aspect of the phenomenon that you think that governments writ large would most want to obscure that information due to the effect it would have on the public, what do you think those aspect at that aspect, singular or plural, would be? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. I think, first of all, um, the one that we all know, which is 
um, you don't have air defense identification zone that you have no control over uh, over your training areas, um, you know, in you know near Earth orbit or um, you know under the oceans. Um, you don't want to have that uh, in your area of operations as a soft state if you can't control it. Um, going a little bit more woo woo, I think that if there is not uh, for example, about a you know a long-term presence of, and again, that you know uh, you know major powers like the United States and its allies, and you know also including uh, Russia and other countries that if they don't have knowledge of, it, um, but if for example there are ongoing you know mass you know, abduction of this, and I personally don't see how hundreds of thousands every year can be making up the same story um that would be something governments want to keep under wraps and i think linda moulton howe did you know fantastic research for example on on cattle mutilations okay that's another area uh that uh, you know seems to have you know certainly fbi flummoxed and also you know all the agencies in those states where uh, those mutilations took place so i think that's another area that, that, that the government um would want basically to keep under wraps anything that they don't understand about the phenomena or the phenomenon or phenomena if the government doesn't doesn't understand that they want to, then they would want to keep that under under wraps you know for both national security so as not to look stupid and also as well in terms of um you know wider cover up of uh, of you know the knowledge effectively since 1947 if you have um that have been working on supposedly crash retrieve technology and have you know an unfair competitive advantage as opposed to other companies. If, if there has been you know nefarious activities that have taken place uh, in cover up, up to and including you know, silencing people permanently, then that is something that government would want to keep under wraps. And I think that's going to be a problem because even if they have people coming forward, free from their uh, you know, obligation NDAs, I think that there will be. A, a great dichotomy for Congress. Uh, do we openly advertise what has been going on, what has been covered up, and cause mass political upheaval in the United States? Or is it something that we keep under wraps and offer people um, basically to keep all the various activities um, you know, from the public and from our enemies? Because the last thing that America needs right now is more political upheaval. But that's just my take. Oh, you're on mute. DJ, unmute. Sorry, thank you. Uh, Frank, we got you coming in by about 5 by 3 or 5 by 2 One of the, uh, I don't know if it was, hi, Ash uh, from, uh, Ash from, I don't know if she's from Manchester or if she's from uh, Liverpool. Uh, I know that uh, she had a massive weight loss. Congratulations on that, Ash. Um, anyway, can you disconnect from the VPN and reconnect and see if we can get you clear because you're coming in loud but broken. Can you try that? Yeah, Roger that, mate. Thank you, mate. Okay. Uh, Debs. Or, well, actually, yeah, because that was the end of my question, so it's Deb's, Deb's term, my friend. I'm sorry. Can you say it again? <laughs> I was thinking um, a lot about what Frank was saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I asked him, I ask him um, if uh, what he thought about w that the government would most want to obscure in terms of uh, the information that they thought would, let's say, be the most upsetting to the public, I asked him what he thought that 
might be. He hit on a few of them that I thought, right. and, and he added a few. So if you want to tackle that, then we can just well, go, all the way, go all the way around with that, Nathan. I can, I can definitely say that what I have heard that they're trying to obscure is information related to the abductions and implants. Um, you know, that they don't really want people to know that they're researching that. And it seems like they're being dragged into the spotlight on that now. Um, because it's becoming more obvious that they have researched it, but I'm not sure that they're a huge fan of that coming out. I I, I agree with you. Uh, Makes Frank. sense. <laughs> yeah, so I think um, kind of a, a few thoughts to, to add on that, really. I mean, one of the things I, I would say would that it be either the, the progress that has been made in terms of reverse engineering and studying any crash retrieval materials or the lack of progress that's been made. Because either of those things, you're not really going to want to give any of that stuff away to any of your adversaries, are you? I mean, if you've made some progress, but you've not figured out some key aspects, you're not going to want to reveal that to anyone just in case they've come up with you know, certain things that aren't the same as what you have, and you may be giving them the final piece to the puzzle. Or if you've made zero progress, then if an, if an adversary has made even a tiny bit of progress, they're ahead of you, you know, and... So it's kind of a weird stalemate, isn't it? It's like everyone's drawn the gun at the end of a Tarantino movie, but nobody nobody wants to shoot and you know those kind of <laughs> scenarios. So I think that's probably the the most sort of realistic and and also um, another thing that's quite intriguing, but you know perhaps a little bit more speculative, at least from you know from the point of view of something that I could prove or anything like that is the kinds of things John Ramirez talks about when he talks about um, genetic material, you know, having been found and, um, you know, the, the possibility that that might be somehow related to, you know, human DNA. That would be a really disturbing kind of thing <laughs> for the for the public to, to get their head around. So, yeah, those are the my thoughts to add to that one. I, I love it because uh, if I can just react to that, um, if we had a top 10 list, these are all going to be on there. All yeah. these are going to be on there. And by the way, just in in the Sasquatch community, and when I heard that David Pilates interview, that is a very close hold secret what the results of that DNA test were. And he was very uncomfortable being asked about it. And he said he doesn't have it or it hasn't been released yet. And Dr. Ketchum hasn't released it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's because people don't want to know that answer. Mm. <laughs> if we share DNA with, with, with this creature, um, because... Uh, Nathan, will, uh, maybe later on, and I, I know you have something else to answer, but from a li religious perspective, that's probably disturbing for some people, mm -hmm. if that's if, if that's even true. Right. Yeah, I, I would just add, uh, echo what uh, Frank had said earlier, um, and, and also what Jim Simivan uh, talked about. There's a paper that he referenced that discusses the impact on states and, states and state power of this secret, and I think that's really what is the most dangerous or destabilizing. You know, you don't want to be a state power that says, we don't really understand all of what it is. We don't have full control. Uh, it can come get you at any, any time. We can't do anything to stop that. Uh, by the way, it upends, you know, a lot of our religious beliefs. It upends our, our history, who, who we are. I mean, it's, it's such a destabilizing, uh, I think, truth that is so open-ended that, you know, the more you can kind of contain it, the more you can just preserve the status quo, even if the status quo is kind of busted, uh, it's at least, you know, the devil, you know, right? So I think that's um, probably the calculus at play. Uh, I also think it's just an incredibly complicated 
phenomena. There are a lot of different players. Uh, it affects not only us on a, at a civilization-wide level, but it affects us on an individual level. Uh, there's this sort of intimate connection that we have to it that goes beyond just how we uh, think about technology or how we think about society. You know, it's, uh, it's, it can be quite, quite personal. Um, so for all these reasons, I, you know, if I was in the room looking at the, at the facts as, as they have them and, and what they could pro probably share, I would probably say, you know what, let's, uh, you know, how do, we, how do we put out a cool new reality show that will distract everybody from this? <laughs> I'd, I'd rather not, really rather not do that right now. So. I love it. We blanketed this topic. We really did. And Frank hasn't even gone yet. So we're going to get to Frank, Frank C. Uh, but, uh, but what's interesting, Nathan, um, is, is that uh, that's absolutely, you know, that's absolutely correct. You know, they, they, they can't explain it. And, and um, Lou Elizondo also said the exact same thing before Jim Semivan came out and, and said it. So um, it's, uh, it, it's definitely something, uh, water that you don't want to wade into. And we'll actually, get into this a little bit later when we talk about Calvine because both Frank and, and Frank, uh, have had, we've had those conversations, but, uh, so Frank, uh, Milburn, the question at this point is, uh, well, actually, no, you were the first to answer. So now we can go on to Debs. You're the first one to answer that question. We just finished up in your absence, Frank. So, yep. Uh, so, um, it's funny because your question kind of ties into both what Frank was Frank C was saying and and also your question because something that's been kind of coming at me lately is the extent that the government has covered this up um and actually uh, Dr. Diana Pasolka was just talking about how they used rubble to disguise the area in New Mexico where there was a crash retrieval and um Frank was talking about people being murdered over this so i guess my question is do you guys think that the whistleblower protection the protection for people with ndas is going to be effective or do are we not actually going to be able to move forward because of things that have happened in the past and i guess i'll let dj answer that first and float it around okay um it's funny um frank and i uh actually spoke about this yesterday uh, it's funny that and and i said to him on the phone i said i'm a glasses half full kind of guy uh, that that's basically how i live my life and 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 i think uh i'm pretty positive but when it comes to this particular topic i become pretty skeptical of what's going to be released and i don't get giddy i don't think you guys have ever seen me get giddy about oh i think we're going to get something big you've never heard me say that and then even people uh, had, had thought that the United States Navy was going to be the savior of this topic. And the Air Force was the evil stepsister who was holding it all back. And then, boom, there comes that article that the Navy says that it's gonna, it needs to hold back and it needs to protect and, and, and all that. So I don't feel uh, very confident. And the other thing, kind of going back to what Nathan said, when, when um, Nathan said, um, you know, it's kind of, you know, it, it, it's not a very well-kept secret, but we're such a small subset that we don't realize what a small subset of the population we represent in UFO Twitter and our, our cousins that aren't on Twitter, like Linda Zimmerman, but are, you know, are, are, are read into the topic. Um, so I, I don't think that um, the whistleblower protections, Frank has, I know he, Frank Milburn has some interesting comments on this. Um, and, um, I don't know how much is actually going to come out because it's going to refute 
um, direct testimony from the, the principals in the program, Mr. Bray, Mr. Moultrie. Um, and I don't, I don't think that they want to shoot themselves in the foot. So if they do, it'll be in closed session. It'll be in the skiff or, or, or the like, and, and we probably won't get the results of it. So I think we're going to be doing what we're doing now for the better pars of the time that we're here on earth. Who, who can pass the mic to? Well, we could go to Frank, uh, the UFO thinker. Frank Jones. Here we are. Um, <laughs> the mic has been passed. So, so yeah, it's it's it's, uh, it's something I've actually been talking about on on my show a, a fair bit recently about the the whistleblower thing. And on the one hand, I'm I'm quite hopeful about it. And, you know, kind of cautiously op- optimistic about the whole thing, and um, because it does seem like you know, at the end of the day the the US government has the best toolkit to get to the bottom of any mystery and you know for us as people are interested in this mystery if we can get a little bit of 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 some of the answers that they've been able to find with that incredible toolkit in terms of resources and the equipment they've got and the the, the you know the people power uh, behind it then obviously we'll we'll have a, a better chance of of understanding you know this mystery and it feels like with this legislation going through that is a step towards that direction on the other hand, though, I'm also thinking about it from the point of view of these legal protections don't tell the full story. I've been speaking on, on my show with a few people about this. You know, just because you've got legal protection, that doesn't necessarily remove all of the obstacles for people to come forward because there's still going to be potentially, you know, allegiances, you know, within certain aspects of the intelligence community that, you know, the, the DOD, etc. And if you kind of spill the beans, the people who are sort of, you know, not necessarily allied with, with your uh, push for transparency, that they, they, they can come after you um, in, in other ways outside of just kind of, you know, the, the things that the, the legal protections won't necessarily be able to protect against, you know, like you might get passed over for promotion and things like that, you know, that, that wouldn't necessarily be protected by the legal side of things. So, yeah, I mean, how how close we're going to get to those those kind of you know the answers that we desire through these whistleblower protections remains to be seen. I'm cautiously optimistic about it, but the proof will be in the pudding at the end of the day, won't it? I think everybody has the tools, Frank. Uh, Great Britain has the tools. Brazil mm-hmm. has the tools. Italy has the tools. Germany has the tools. France has the tools. Nobody is doing it. It's that you know everybody is looking for the United States to open up this topic. And everybody else has the same sovereignty to do that if they so choose. They have obviously agreed either in secret, <laughs> uh, some somewhere behind closed doors, that nobody is gonna is gonna pop that can and rip it open. Otherwise, they'd be doing it. Japan, China. I mean, China's no Russia. These are not, <laughs> you know, the the last two are are not necessarily allies of the are are not allies of the United States. And yet they've chosen not to open up their files on this topic. So what does that tell you? Mm. It's yeah. not the United States' responsibility to do this. It's just that they've been more transparent than anybody else. So you're not hopeful we're going to get too much in the way of answers then? Yeah, we're not more any more equipped to reveal what we know than any other government is equipped to reveal what they know. Now, we, we can collect more. Maybe, but that doesn't mean that other governments don't have a file that they have chosen not to stand up on a podium 
and and talk about that information open source for whatever whatever the reasons are yeah i, I guess kind of my thinking with it is like you know they, the government essentially are, are servants of the people in terms of you know we the people of whatever country whether it be the uk the us you know any kind of you know modern uh, you know country that has the the capabilities um, to actually look into things like this. And like you say, I think the UK do as well. I think they have been doing for quite some time. You know, it probably in cooperation with the United States and other other allies. Um, and I just feel like at the moment, for whatever reason, whether it's a, co- a coordinated decision or whatever it might be, the US is kind of the one taking the lead on, on this. And I feel as though if there is indeed something that's been, you know, kept under wraps, there are different factions within the, whether it be the intelligence community the dod and some people within those wants more transparency and there's other, another group as well that, that doesn't want more transparency and you know it's a tug of war that's kind of ongoing and uh you know are we going to see the the balance tip slightly obviously it's been in favor of complete secrecy for a long long time and these new bits of legislation you know you could say that that is slight tipping in in favor of the other side of that balance and i hope that it is but we'll have to see won't we yeah it's just there is nothing preventing any nation from disclosing what they have no matter what what legislation is enacted here it it bears it it bears no control or over a sovereign nation from revealing what they know if they want to and they've decided that they don't want to and that's you can just name off any any of the EU, any any country, and they're going to tell you the same thing. Yep, no, we don't know anything. They're out there. Anyway, Frank, go ahead, man. Is my sound okay, guys? This is great, brilliant. Yeah, I, I wanted to second what um, what Frank Beard um, said about the whistleblower protection. Okay, so you have a reprieve from opening up if you have. Um, if you have an NDA, obviously talking behind closed doors to Congress, some kind of you know investigation, some kind of investigative committee. But if you are penalized by your employer, whether it's the government or you're a private contractor, you know, you're going to be out of pocket in the meantime. And, you know, you're going to be have to, uh, you know, uh, uh, funding you know, lawyers bills until you get like the, you know, your complaint in motion and with the, um, uh, you know, with the with the U.S. government, um, and also in a more nefarious sense, there is no whistleblower protection for illegal activities. As in, if you've been, if you have knowledge of, you know, um, unfair market competition, where, for example, you know, an aerospace company has been given some kind of artifact, and they have an advantage over another aerospace company which has not had access to that technology, or if you've been privy to the cover-up and you know that there's, you know, been, you know, uh, murders involved or, you know, directed energy weapons used, harassment of scientists, then you're going to be thinking to yourself, well, these are the people that I've been working for. And, you know, even if I go into witness protection, right, the U.S. Marshals aren't going to be, be able to protect me because these people have a long reach. I mean, they've been operating for, for this long, since, for the better, better part of, uh, of eight decades, um, completely out of view of the US government and with no you know, legal supervision whatsoever, with no oversight whatsoever. So what's to stop them knocking me off? Yeah, and I just want to say from a civil service perspective, 
there was in there just west and north of where I excuse me east and north of where I lived the Apalachicola National Forest and during one of the forest fires a couple of the state forestry employees were told to uh, travel some of these uh, double track roads these gravel roads that are in the Apalachicola forest and see if they find any distressed animals then you bring the animal back and if they can heal the animal they will or they'll euthanize it because animals will sometimes run to the road i guess to get rescued during these situations where there's a fire and reportedly according to this documentary and i don't know the veracity of it um they they ran over a young a younger sasquatch bolted into the road and they hit it uh with their vehicle that had a sort of up armored brush guard on the front and and ran over it and they loaded it into the truck and brought it back and um, shortly thereafter, a couple of individuals from the federal government turned up at uh, their their base camp and said, "Take us back and and show us where you where you hit it. Tell us the story." And they told them the story, and that's when they came with the finger in the chest and they said, um, um, "What you hit was a bear." And of course, they said, "No, he didn't." And then they said, well, "If you if you want your retirement, what you hit was a bear." So just you know, remember that you hit a bear if you want to get your retirement. Um, and then um, for contractors, I can tell you from having signed a couple of contracts as a contractor with the government, it is at-will employment, so I don't think I need to say any more about that. Yeah, I, I would agree. And the only thing I would add to that, to me, that the uh, the pro protections potentially open up some avenues for those who are, in fact, already retired and have left the government and maybe had signed an NDA or have been part of these programs in the past. So if they had ever been part of a program, left the program, are not on the government's dollar, uh, you know, potentially those individuals might feel more at liberty to say what they know, at least in a closed door sort of situation. Uh, even then, though, I, I would echo exactly what the Franks have stated, that, you know, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of pressure within these programs. You can only imagine, uh, you know, to be the person that sticks your neck out uh, when your colleagues, even if you're, they are your former colleagues, are not doing so. Uh, you know, we're, we're a very like mimetic species, right? We look around and we kind of look at the room and see what people are doing. We generally do what everybody else is doing. It takes a lot of courage to step out and do something different. And I don't know that, um, the reward is really there for individuals to do that. Now, some, I think maybe feel a, a tremendous compulsion to do so. And I think those are the folks who quite frankly are kind of, uh, I think of them as evangelists or even zealots, you know, that they've had an experience. It's not just they've worked on this. They've had an experience of their own. It has touched them on a very personal level and they feel an obligation to humanity to talk about it. So you're really looking for those kinds of people who have that unique drive uh, to kind of step out and, and share what they know and damn the consequences. So I don't know how many people like, like that there are. Um, hopefully we have a few. But Jim um, Sammy Van. Yeah, perhaps. Zondo, Rick Doty. Perhaps, and but even then, I think um, I think we, you know, tend to believe they know a lot more than they really do. Uh, this kind of get gets back to what what do we actually know? I mean, there there are certainly secrets, one hundred percent. But as far as what those secrets portray, what the picture actually is, I'm not sure we have a lot of clarity there. They can certainly point in some directions. Hey, maybe look over here, or you know, dig a little deeper in this uh, sap or whatnot. And maybe you'll find something. But um, yeah, I, I, I feel like we're in the season of pessimism right now, to be frank. 
Um, and <laughs> that's uh, twice two I francs to, during this. I had to, uh, but it feels that way. That feels that certainly is the vibe that I'm getting now. I, I hope to be wrong. I hope that there is some sort of um, you know something coming out of left field that we aren't expecting. I've certainly heard a couple rumors like that, but uh, I, I just don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I've I've said from the beginning I didn't think Lou, Lou was read into to everything just because uh, there are saps out there that he didn't have a need to know about that was not part of a tip or OSAP. So I, I've said that from the very beginning. And I think he basically says that, although I think some people have shared some things with him um, unofficially that, that gives him some certain knowledge, but of course he doesn't know it all. Nobody knows it all. Even the people that know everything the government's done, in our government, or or be it the British government, still doesn't know it all. They just know more than we do. So that you know that that's compelling. Um, even if in aggregate it's not it's not everything, because that information doesn't exist, um, or I shouldn't say it doesn't exist. I don't think what Jim said. And by the way, everybody, if you want to check out one of Jim's interviews that I absolutely love, check out Stuart Davis. He's a member of the Experiencer Group. And it was a different, very different interview than the interview that he had with us. Um, and I love that interview, just like I, I love the interview we did with him. But um, he's very frank, if you will. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, he's, he's very candid uh, <laughs> uh, about uh, what that he, he says. I, I don't think they know it all. And part of the problem is, and, and you, a couple of you spoke about this. Frank has spoke about it. Nathan has spoke about it is they're at a loss to be able to explain um, what they do know because they don't understand. So how do you explain something that you don't understand? Um, I've been in that, you know, in that uh, situation. Someone asks you about the airplane or something you don't know, understand about the airplane. Well, I can't explain it to you if I don't understand it. So anyway, uh, who's next? Oh, Mr. Frank, it's your turn. Maybe this is the first time we're going to hear you say report. In this in this podcast, I hope. Which Frank me? Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, yeah, just to, to add, if if it's cool, um, quickly a couple of thoughts on on what you were saying there as well sure, before please. I get into my little my little topic sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. I think sometimes everything becomes a breadcrumb that that, that Lula Zondo or Christopher Mellon or any of these people who've you know been on the other side of the curtain of secrecy kind of thing. And I think even they would say themselves that that's not really how it's intended. They, sometimes they do leave breadcrumbs. That's absolutely correct. But as you say, I don't think Lou Elizondo has all the answers. He just has a very strong indication of where the some of, some more you know more in depth answers may be located, and he's trying to get towards that. And I think uh, Chris Mellon said the other day. Um, that he didn't think that Luella Zondo was directly involved in any kind of a crash retrieval program either. Um, but then again, no, he, he said exactly, but he, he confirmed that Luella Zondo, as far as he knows, is not one of the people who's waiting to come forward to testify should these whistleblower protections be put into place. But he did also suggest that there are people, he's used the, the, the term people's in plural, who have um, been you know directly involved with some of these, these programs. So that would be very interesting. That's kind of, you know, sort of corroborates what Gary Nolan has been saying as well. So there's a lot of um, very interesting things, you know, in that direction. We'll see how it all plays out over the course of the next six months. Eh? Um, yeah, any, anything you guys want to add before we get into my little topic? No, go for it, man. Yeah, so basically, black triangles. 
Um, it's a it's an aspect of the UFO topic that I find particularly interesting um, for a few reasons. Uh, the sightings are generally, you know, completely unambiguous. We're not talking about distant lights and things. You know, we're talking about really clearly defined shapes of very large objects. You know, in, in many cases, the triangles are actually very close to the observer. They move very slowly as well, so they, they can be observed for longer periods of time, overpopulated areas as well. And often they've been seen by multiple individuals with radar returns and all the rest of it. And they almost never appear to, to land or crash, but they just kind of slowly go about whatever it is they're trying to achieve with what seems to be like a, a disregard for people watching. Uh, and obviously they have very similar characteristics as well, even going back hundreds of years, which kind of suggests to me at least that they can't be explained by being modern black budget tech. So the specific questions, um, be interested to hear what you guys think are what could these objects be doing and also um what is going on with the lights which i suppose is is you know a question about ufos in general but triangles in particular is a huge silent black object if they turned out the lights at night they'd be very stealthy so why do they have lights do they want to be seen so yeah just to summarize what are these black triangles doing potentially and what's going on with the lights real frank c Sure. Um, I made a few notes last night. I was up late reading. Um, obviously, I don't have all the answers, but if we're talking about triangle UFOs, um, I referenced um, what Colonel John Alexander has said about them and also David Marler, who wrote you know, the seminal book on, on triangle UFOs. So the first sighting, I think, was 1882 in like the Far East. So that's, that's before the Wright brothers in 1903, right? And that's a long yep. time between... That's a long time before skunk works in the u.s air force and i also think that because of that time that that whole time frame from 1882 you can't say then that you know black u.s projects could possibly account for all those sightings and i also say uh you don't test that kind of that technology over populated areas so i was looking through some some british cases for example where they're you know you've got massive massive uh, you know hundreds of meters across triangles and they're hovering across roads and you know, basically casting shadows over fields and, and that kind of stuff. So you just don't test that stuff in a populated environment. Um, and also the technology doesn't seem to evolve because from 1882 to what we have today, what you'd expect with, um, you know, a, a, you know, a, a terrestrial aircraft, um, whether it's, you know, like, like from the Wright brothers onwards, we've seen a direct pro progression in technology, right? From like biplanes to monoplanes to, to jets, to scramjets, right? So you see a progression of technology. The technology with triangles doesn't seem to have changed. Also, as well, if you're talking about, um, you know, the aircraft design, aircraft are designed, you know, terrestrial aircraft are designed for a specific purpose. Um, and large flying platforms, I'm not talking about dirigibles, right, or balloons that are used for intelligence purposes or, or for, um, you, know, um, uh, you know, putting out, um, you know, um, uh, propaganda or, or advertising. Um, large aircraft like the Antonov or the Galaxy C5, they're designed to transport people and equipment, right? So I find it very hard to believe that if these were American technology, why weren't they used in, in, in like Afghanistan and why, do we, why wouldn't see them in Iraq? Because you had horrific logistical challenges in both Afghanistan and Iraq. I mean, I, I worked on convoys for a while in Iraq. So I was marshalling in like you have a massive convoy, military convoy that comes in. 
looking like 200 trucks just with, um, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the supplies and, and, you know, the food, the water, the petrol, lubricants, plus all the supply vehicles. And you've got thousands of trucks transiting Iraq and Afghanistan every day. And from Afghanistan, also you know, over the Hindu Kush and traveling from Pakistan. So it's very problematic. So why wasn't this technology used if, if it were American? And also, if you're talking these platforms, triangles, they've got five observable technology. They can hover. Um, they can. Um, uh, they have instant acceleration. You've got hyper hypersonic velo velocities without signatures. Uh, they've got definitely got signature management because some people have said you know that they kind of like disappear or they look like they're you know they've got electro uh, optical camouflage. So, you know, if America had that technology or if an ally had that technology, then why would you spend billions and billions on F-22 and F-35? You know, those are just my thoughts. I I agree. I agree. Money. Yeah, that, I mean, they're one of those craft that, uh, to me, feel the most ominous. I don't know quite why I have that reaction. I've not seen one, but the accounts of individuals that have tend to carry that extra level of weight. I don't know if it's because of the, you know, just the sharp edges and the, the black void of the object. Um, as far as the lights are concerned, you know, I've, I, I take that to mean an evidence of their propulsion, their means of propulsion, um, rather than a means of, you know, illumination or uh, of signaling uh, that, that they're a craft of some sort that you need to watch out for in the sky. Um, you know, it, it, to the point of stealth, if they're if they're concerned about stealth, they would certainly turn those off, right? Uh, they don't seem to be concerned. That's the other thing is they, they appear, they hover, they loiter, then they disappear with, with incredible speed. Um, I mean, that, that, those are indications of the other craft as well, that they just don't give to you-know-whats about what we think or where they happen to show up or, or whatnot. So um, I don't know that, you know, we also tend to want to classify these things, right? So it's the triangles are different from the saucers are different from the orbs are different from, you know, we, this, the cigar shape. So maybe these are all different, you know, sort of species or, you know, it's it hard for me to make that determination without a lot of more data. Um, and we certainly also heard that maybe they've performed different functions. So these are just, these are kind of narratives that we project onto these objects that I think help us to categorize what we just don't really know. We're, we're, we're filling in this empty void uh, with with our own sort of stories to to feel better about whatever it happens to be. There are certainly a lot of um, accounts of individuals who have seen these and even been on board them. I think the the Terry Loveless story was a triangle encounter, and there were, if I recall, um, vats of uh, you know sort of beings uh, being seemingly in incubated in the craft. I don't quite know that was the interpretation. So that is an interesting, uh, you know, fact there. I, I don't know. It's um, I would love to know more, but I, I completely agree um, with Frank Milburn that the, the, the stories go back too far for it to be our tech. Um, now, we certainly could have, you know, aped the tech later on and uh, or captured it perhaps and learned how to pilot them or whatever. But it, it seems like this is not something that we... Uh, cooked up in a in a mcdonald douglas you know hangar somewhere and <laughs> you know just started we're just holding around. it back <laughs> holding it back you know because yeah, why not <laughs> right just uh, the rainy day you might need it yeah yep can i make another quick comment on that guys please. please yeah also as well i mean if you're talking about like these massive craft like some of them are like you know they're supposed to be like kilometers across right so 
if, for example, the USA, if this were US tech. So, you know, where are these vehicles being built? Uh, where, where are they being based out of? If you're using it for, you know, whether it's, um, you know, iStar or whether you're using it for logistics, like who's involved in like loading it up, who fixes it, um, who refuels it if it needs refueling, you know, who pilots it. There's, there's some kind of infrastructure that has to be involved with these craft as well. So where is that infrastructure and who's providing it? Yeah, that's a great point. You know, when you're finished playing pool, you put the rack up on the wall. Like, where do they hang these things? I don't <laughs> exactly. I don't know. Right? If you've seen like an automotive hangar or even a hangar where like Boeing would build seven four sevens, like out in uh, in the Seattle area, they're so enormous that you just couldn't hide and you couldn't keep enough people under wraps. There's just there's so many aspects of what these things do, particularly the silent propulsion that just makes them beyond us that it's never been a question in my mind that it that it's it's not us at this point um someday it might be if humanity lasts that long and we can preserve the environment in which we live the planet and make it survivable for long enough i've no doubt we'll get there but not there now um what, what do you deb what, i don't think i'd like to hear what she has to say about it uh, oh yeah i was gonna go i was gonna go right and give it to her i'm I was looking, I'm in the middle, and then she's next. I was going to give it right to her. Yeah. Honestly, I think you're going to have to build on a couple of things I'm pointing out, because you're the expert on this stuff, DJ. You're going to know. Some, so I think it's better if I throw these out there. Go, so, go it, yeah, once upon a time, I was researching Alexander Lipish, who is um, an engineer um, that we got through um, Operation Paperclip. Um, so he was a Nazi. And he created some really bizarre craft. And one of the things that he created was a triangle. And shortly after that, we started going to the Delta shape. And I've been really fixated on watching Delta shapes, but we still do not have something that is that big or looks anything like what people are describing. The closest that we um, have gotten is Russia was working on a helicopter. It was a three-part helicopter that would have looked like a triangle to someone observing down below but it never got off the ground well you know literally <laughs> never they never <laughs> they never did it i will tell you though from like a human perspective all of those craft um that they have that large triangle shape they're like that for storage reasons um like that was why they had the one in russia being built they wanted to be able to lift really heavy objects um, and the Delta that they're working on now for the next gen fighter, apparently it's shaped the way it is as a big triangle in order to store more things underneath it. Um, so that seems to be an answer from a human perspective. What something non-human would say, you know, totally different. And you know, the last thing I just wanted to comment, actually, I just have two quick more comments. One was that, you know, with shapes like Nathan said, you know, shapes, we get caught on them, but they change shapes all the time. I was literally envisioning like this triangle just breaking off into little pieces while we were talking because people see these changes all the time with these craft. They're not following our rules. Um, and then as far as the lights go, um, they probably really don't care if we see their lights or not. And I don't really think they're like lights like we have. I think they're propulsion related. And that's all I wanted to say. Okay, DJ, please provide your expert <laughs> advice on this well i mean first of all I, i'm definitely no no expert but uh, i 
I could talk about what the triangle shape means in terms of aviation. And I'll start off with saying that David Marler said in some of the cases, the broad end or wide end of the triangle was was uh, facing was the direction of flight, while the pointy end was not. And that tells you what I've been saying all along is that it doesn't matter that something's moving through the air. It matters if it has a wing form. And if you just take a teardrop and you turn it on its side so that the fat end is the direction of flight and the narrow end of that tear, and then what we do is we take the bottom of that teardrop and we just slice it flat. If you do that so that only the top is teardrop, so we've sliced it so that the bottom's flat, and I start moving that through the air, Bernoulli's theorem says that will create lift, and now I have a flying wing. But in order to do that, there's a lot of mathematics on how fast I want it to go means how, how swept back that wing will be in the triangle. If I want it to take off on short runways, then my wings are going to be straight across. But if I don't if I don't care about speed and I'm like, okay, 300 knots is as fast as I need to go. We start getting off 500, 600, 700, Mach 0.8, Mach 0.9, Mach. Now I have to start sweeping those wings back um, in order to take advantage and be able to go fast through the air or you're just going to uh, overstress the wings and trying to achieve that speed. So there's all these things. The, these craft, it's not the, the triangle shape that we can, obviously we can fly triangles now. Because you guys have seen the stealth fighter and you've seen the B-2 bomber or triangles. But they are a wing form. And the UFO craft is apparently not. And it can just hover there. So it doesn't require the air in order to create lift like our, like what aircraft do. Which is why we call them aircraft and I call the other one craft. Um so, and plus the fact of what we said, David Marler said, sometimes they're flying with the broad end uh, facing in the direction of flight, and that goes completely against Bernoulli's theorem right there. That's not aerodynamic. That's not something that we would, we would build um, and, and be able to utilize the air to create lift. So there's that. As far as the lights are concerned, I don't know, Frank, but one of the hypotheses when you hear, uh, like Rick Doty just told the story about how um, basically, it was out near Tonopah, and it was a family driving. And to make a long story short, they saw a craft that made them pull over on the side of the road. They parked the car, and they did what a lot of us would do if they saw the craft coming back toward them. We might exit the car and go and try and hide in a bush. And uh, they saw some sort of a beam of light come out of the craft and then saw their young son and daughter get drawn up into that, that light. And, and into the craft, floating up into the craft, and the craft left. And it was uh, several hours later, may have been the next day, they were found outside of Tonopah by a couple of security uh, police personnel, and then they got in with, you know, obviously the family reported to local law enforcement, and the local law enforcement thought they had done something to the children, but in any case, they were returned. So maybe those lights have to do with, uh, like, uh, over where I'm from, they've been seeing the light coming down into the reservoir. So then I would start to wonder, okay, that light, obviously, I, I don't think they're just having a look at the fish. So they're probably extracting something from the reservoir. What that is, is open speculation. Uh, I have no idea what they would be extracting from the water, but, uh, but that's one thing. Uh, and we've also seen them use it, like I said, to uh, be able to levitate people out of 
whatever uh, st- structure they're in and up into the craft. I think uh, uh, Mr. Hickson and uh, Parker spoke about that. So um, so that that's my thought on it. The other thing I was going to say from Nathan's point that I find fascinating is the most interesting experience, and Nathan actually alluded to a couple of them, that either there were beings that were being incubated, that there may be beings that were uh, sort of embalmed, perhaps, aboard that triangle, but the most interesting experiences reported by experiencers are the ones that have been taken aboard these huge craft. Uh, And so that right there makes them real because now all of a sudden you're aboard a craft and it's not just you alone. Uh, You know, Terry's seeing children. He's hearing families. He's hearing people scream. He's hearing people cry. He's hearing his, his partner talking to him, but he can't turn his head uh, just as eyeballs are moving. So a lot of interesting experiences surround that. I also wanted to mention to you, I know this is probably the longest I've talked on, on my show, but um, I want to mention to you that tomorrow I'm interviewing a chef from my high school show that's about my hometown. My hometown, I have, uh, I don't know, I don't have a count of just my hometown, but probably five, six, seven different individuals have seen triangular craft over our town and over Indian Point Power Plant, the nuclear power plant there. So I'm interviewing this chef, uh, and I said, he was a classmate of mine, and I said, Mark, yeah, we really want to have you on. want to have you talk about Chopped and Food TV Network and your career and uh, the CIA, Culinary Institute, all that stuff. And he said, yeah, I want to talk UFOs with you. I'm like, <laughs> okay. And he said, yeah, and he he told me this the supermarket he walked out of and the gas station he was walking over to, and I can point – I <laughs> walked these very steps that he did, and he told me where he saw a huge triangular craft, and I think the two individuals working at the gas station also saw it. It was at night, and um, he was waiting for a ride home, and it just blew me away. It's just another person that saw – had a triangular craft sighting uh, from my hometown, and this guy – He's like, yeah, what do you think about Philip Corso's book? And, uh, you know, what about Dodie and Elizondo? And, you know, so we're going to be talking UFOs tomorrow night on the on my high school show. So Love it. that's all I've got on that one. Yes, the CIA is the Culinary Institute of America, Jules, so, <laughs> in New York. Um, and now it's at Frank Mulburn's turn, right? It is. Yeah. Unless anyone has a go back on anything that I said. I just, okay, I just want to say something interesting about. <laughs> sorry, I want to say something about the lights. Um, as with all UAP, it seems that um, sometimes they, whoever they are, they're not bothered about being seen. And then at other times, you know, some of the reports I've read with the triangles, like the large ones, sometimes they're they're moving around slowly and they're shining lights on the ground or they're very lightly lit. And then other times they pass over people and people look up and they think they're looking at the stars because there's some kind of electro-optical camouflage. So they're seeing as if they're seeing through the object, but it's, you know, the images from above the object, which is being reflected from the bottom of, of the triangle. So I find that intriguing as well, that sometimes they have this signature management and then other times they just basically couldn't care less. So that that's intriguing as well. Um, but obviously, you know, just going about whatever they're doing with impunity. I mean, uh, without a care in the world, it seems. But other times they want to hide what they're doing, as with other UAP. And I always find that intriguing. You know, why sometimes they want to be seen. Sometimes uh, they're quite happy to play around with, you know, U.S. Navy fighters or whatever it is. And other times they, they, they want to be completely covert.
That would be really fascinating if there was uh, even a, a Ryan Graves-like report of, uh, of them seeing a triangle that was, you know, aircraft carrier size or, or whatever. That, that, would be, that would be really interesting if we had one of those. Uh, that would be game-changing in a way. Uh, and it would open certain doors that the Tic Tac has yet to open, I think. But, uh, Frank, you, you, you have, would you have a topic you would like us all to consider? Unless there's any go-backs on that. Sorry, are you talking to me? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, the, what, I, what I wanted to talk about is what we've talked about uh, already, about the um, the so-called whistleblower amendment and, and protection for, for people coming forward. I mean, that was really what I was going to bring to the party tonight, but happy to talk about anything else, happy to, to listen and chime in with anybody else. All right, I'm going to Money Nathan. Well, I, I'm going to jump in on what you were. Uh, I, I'm going to go into what Frank just brought up. So sure. I think it is an interesting uh, point of conversation. So uh, you know this notion that they they do want to be seen and and almost at least with the Navy encounters that we have, there's there's an element of even kind of I would say if I'm anthropomorphizing it, there's an element of human playfulness there. Uh, not just to be seen, but to be noticed, to be understood, to be acting under intelligent control, uh, to give opportunity to observe. Like these aren't for for whatever it happens to be that seems to possess incredible technology that could could decide not to be observed. Uh, the fact that it takes time to be observed is is quite interesting and in and of itself. And you know, I. I I tend to wonder, you know, we hear a lot about um, this kind of ramp up in activity. Uh, we've heard recently uh, from some folks in the Ukraine even that, you know, said that they had been monitoring the skies above uh, above Ukraine and, you know, have noticed that there were a lot of um, uh, unexplained phenomena happening in, in the sky there. Um, but a lot of this uptick in activity seems to be happening in areas of conflict or areas where, uh, we have, um, you know, some sort of operational presence uh, or or greater sensor platforms or what have you. Not everywhere, as you pointed out, DJ, there are certainly areas that uh, we have a lot of sensors where we don't pick up anything at all. But, you know, the point being, there seems to be this kind of, uh, I don't know if it's quite cat and mouse, but there seems to be this uh, attempt to uh, disclose a little bit about what, what they are or a curiosity perhaps or um, wanting to engage with us on some level, but for what purpose? I mean, that, that is something we obviously can could really go into a great deal of speculation. What is the purpose of giving us the opportunity to observe? Is it to, uh, for whatever reason, accelerate the conversation? Is it, uh, I mean, if you think about Nimitz and, you know, uh, Frank Beard, you mentioned this earlier, you know, Nimitz is this, you know, seminal case. It, it So much of what we're talking about now hinges on how good that case happens to be. And if you look at that case, it's it's like dis, in looking back on it, it's like intelligently designed to be a great case. You know, it has all of the hallmarks that have, you know, really kickstarted a lot of this conversation or boosted it is a better way to put it uh, in our current time. So if, if I try to take a macroscopic view and, and I'll, I'd like to get your thoughts on this, uh, um, Frank Beard, and then uh, Frank Milburn. In, in a, what would we? Are there any sort of conclusions we could we could draw from these these overall patterns? You know, is there something that you think uh, is, is telling about the behavior in and of itself with, with these situations? Uh, with triangles in particular, 
No, I think just any of the encounters that we have and, and this issue of signal management and uh, mm. engagement. Well, yeah, I, th I think like with the, with the, with the triangles, just to kind of start on that, um, th there has been various different ideas put forward. Like we were talking about Terry Lovelace and the, the possibility of like hybridization programs and things like that. Um, you know, and, and there's been mapping as or surveying has also been suggested as a, as a possible like mission that these things are on. But, you know, like I've thought about those long and hard and neither of them really sort of make a great deal of sense because, I mean, if you were going to map something, um, and I think, um, Frank, we, we've talked about this a little bit as well. If you were going to map something, we, even we have the capability to map something from space now. So it seems almost like a bit primitive to have a huge object that has to f fly really slowly, really low to the ground. You know, we can map things better than that. So like, it doesn't seem like that works for me as an explanation. And the hybrid thing sort of could make sense, especially if people have actually been on board craft and seen vats full of kind of embryos and stuff. But even then, sure, they would cloak. And and the, this goes to what you were saying, Nathan. It's like, you know, it almost seems like they have the capability to be silent and not observed, as in not have the lights on. I mean, I've personally spoke to a few people who have had completely unambiguous sightings of enormous black triangles with no lights whatsoever. Okay. And it just, yeah. just so happens that they you know, caught on the, the reflection off the street lights and things. So they actually saw it, but like, so they appear to be able to move silently and without any lights whatsoever. So the question kind of comes up, are they, are they specifically trying to be seen? And, and again, one of the things that's, that's quite interesting about uh, looking at black triangle cases is that the one thing that does tend to vary the most is actually the configuration of lights. So some of them have many lights going down the side. Some of them have the three. The most common is obviously the three the three corners, the extremities of the triangle. Some of them have a big light in the middle. Some of them have colored lights. Some of them have lights that move. And it's almost as though they're trying to be seen, you know. And and it also, going back to the, the signature management thing, it made me think of um, what Dr. Gary Nolan was talking about recently on the Tucker Carlson interview with the case of... Um, a couple of people, I think it was in France, I forget the details, where they'd, they'd seen a huge, this wasn't a triangle, I think, I think it was a disc actually, but they'd taken a, a photograph of it. And then when they actually checked the photograph, it was, wasn't what they observed with the naked eye at all. It was, it was like a star shape. And it sort of makes you wonder with triangles, are they even actually triangles at all? Or are they actually sort of doing some kind of manipulation of consciousness to appear like a triangle? Because even the shape of a massive black triangle is almost designed to be ominous and when you add to that the varying lights is it some kind of messaging you know be interested to hear you guys thoughts do, do i get to go next I'm sure, Deb, yeah. yes no, okay i'm excited yeah. about this because i literally wrote down the word communication while we were talking about this yep. because that's what lou said yep. even if we can't understand what they're doing coming up and being right in our face is sort of like a type of communication, right? It's like waving. And it's very possible, even with these lights, that they're trying to communicate something. Um, maybe even trying to look like our craft with the lights is a way that they're trying to communicate something and we just do not understand. It's a possibility and it should be considered that something 
about what they're doing physically and when they come in our faces, communication of some kind. And also, it could also just very much be like what Valet says, a game of chess. You know, like he thinks that we're being guided on a certain path. And I found out because I'm reading Passport to Magona today um, that it may not be his idea that this idea has been around for a while. So that that that's a good that's a good one. Uh, Debs, I mean, Lou did that. He said it's it's communication. It's kind of like when Nathan was visiting with those Aboriginal tribes. They're reaching for his face. And he thinks they want to touch his face, but they really want his sunglasses. And it just, he didn't get it right away. But, you know, it was communication, you know? Yeah. And once you gave up your Ray-Bans, <laughs> everything was good. You and your family were allowed to leave. It was all right. Exactly. It was like the Ewoks and Han Solo and the whole nine yards and Luke. Yes. It's a cool style no matter where you are. That's yeah. <laughs> Even out in the bush. That's right. Uh, but... Um, no, I, I, I was going to uh, – I, well, actually, I have, a, I have a question for Nathan, so I want to give this over to Frank Milburn to ask that question, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with mine. We've got about, uh, you know, about 15 minutes, 20 minutes left or so. Cool. So we want Frank to, to drop in on that, that yes. conversation. So, Frank, yeah, Frank, what do you think about uh, this look-at-me, don't-look-at-me capability and how the team tends to be used? I think you'd have to take on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, if you're looking at, for example, Nimitz, I have to ask, well, why these vehicles, okay, if you're talking Tic Tacs, they're intelligently controlled. Uh, they must have sensors to know where they are in time and space, right, to be able to get around, whether they're piloted or whether they're autonomous. So why would you interject yourself into like a major exercise uh, where you have, you know, a nuclear-powered, um, you know, carrier strike group, um, you know, gearing up for war? And... I would ask the same thing about um, you know, the Tehran case in 1976, which was a major Cold War hotspot, you know, that, that border between Iran and, and the former Soviet Union. And, you know, with the Americans there obviously giving the Iranians, you know, the latest kit, the latest sidewinders, the latest, you know, uh, you know phantoms, and then sending, selling them uh, F-14s. Um, you know, that whole border was like lit up in terms of, uh, you know, electronic intelligence, you know, communications and SIGIN. It would have been lit up like a Christmas tree, right, in the 1970s. And then you know, the, 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 this UFO not only interjects itself into this sort of highly contested uh, area of, of potential human conflict, but it also, uh, you know, detaches an orb, which um, the, you know, the pilot of the second Phantom thinks that it is a missile streaking towards him. And then when he goes to launch his own weapons, um, it freezes up and his communications back to base are frozen. His intercom with, it, with his uh, Wizzo um, you know, uh, go out. So if that were, I mean, when you have, you know, a, a British, you know, British warships in the Black Sea or, or, or American warships in the Taiwan Strait and they're confronted or they're buzzed by, you know, Russian or, or Chinese aircraft, you know, that, that's a very clear signal, right? And, and, and it's a hostile signal. Um, so I, I have to ask myself in that case, why are these objects, if they're so far advanced of anything that we have, and they're obviously intelligently controlled or remotely controlled, then why are they engaging in these games with um, you know, in areas of high tension, with with, with, with you know, with military forces, uh, you know, fr from whichever country. That that's the question I ask myself. And you know, sometimes it seems playful, but other times, you know, it, it's been fatal. Like with you know the Mantel case in 1947, or 
1957 with Milton Torres, you know, that, that uh, F-86 pilot, American pilot in the UK, who was basically directed to take off by, by the RAF and, and to shoot down an object over the UK. So, you know, why do they interject themselves, you know, the, the UAP, the intelligence behind them, into areas of high tension? Um, to me, and also the whole, you know, nuclear thing and shutting down nukes or initiating nukes or flying over nukes or, you know, um, Rendlesham Forest, Brentwaters, where they're illuminating, you know, weapon storage areas, nuclear weapon storage areas, which they always seem to be interested in. Um, to me, that's like, you know, intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance um, at, from, from an anthropomorphic point of view. And if they are so intelligent, would they not understand our understanding of their intentions by their doing those acts? I was going to say exactly what, what, what Frank said is um, that our definition, which doesn't necessarily apply to them, we could try to apply it to them. That's why he said from an anthropomorphic perspective that what they're doing in some cases looks like surveillance to us, reconnaissance, intelligence gathering. Um, we don't know that that's what it is, but that that's, that's what we come up with. The second thing is uh, some of this issue that I've seen that has to do with Tic Tacs and orbs over the ocean. There's something to do with the ocean that they're able to, that they want to interact with the ocean, and we just don't know what that is. The government actually might know a little bit about that, uh, if not in total. They, they may be able to tell us that they've seen them extract something, but they just don't know what they're able to do with it. The other thing, let me see, I wrote down something here. Um, sourcing, you know, there, there's some sort of, uh, sourcing going on, but we just, you know, that, that's what I would call it, but I just don't know. I don't know why that is. Um, we did ask Gary, uh, uh, excuse me. We asked Kevin day if he thought that they could have spoofed or, um, uh, obscured themselves from the spy one radar from that phased array radar. And he said he didn't know, but from Nathan's point, you know, hey, they showed up and did whatever they wanted to do with impunity uh, with that radar on them. Did they detect that radar um, and know that they were being uh, that they were being surveilled by that radar? It's hard to say. I would think that they did. Uh, I know I, I have a pretty good idea that when Chad Underwood uh, turned on his targeting radar, that they knew that that was happening because that's when they jammed his radar. There's also the issue of emitters. Uh, there's certain things that if Frank and I were to look at an aircraft, we'd say, ooh, that's an, emit that's an emitter right there for EW. And that's a sensor right there. And that's another thing that leads us to believe that this technology is so many generations past us is that when you look at it, you know it has that capability, but it doesn't have any emitters and it doesn't have any sensors that are hanging off it. And we don't have the ability to do what we do with sensors without having something visible on the outside of the craft. Apart from radar, of course, radar sits inside a radome. So they must be using something that's probably like that, but much, much better. And then as far as jamming, um, we have to have an uh, emitter that, that does that, that job as well, that, that can, can jam radar and throw off uh, the position of, uh, of targeting radar. So anyway, uh, yep, that's all I have on that topic. It looks like they're sourcing, and it certainly looks like ISR, but that's just putting a human spin on it. Um, Nathan, I got one for you. Hey, Frank, I had um, his hand up real quick. Oh, sir, yes, please, sir. 
Yeah, I just want to say, sorry, quickly, that was a very good about um, a very good point about the emitters. I mean, you know, I can understand, you know, like, you know, the Americans flying, you know, they want to go into contested airspace or the Brits and they have, you know, dedicated EW aircraft and, you know, they use things like Nemesis. They launch drones, which, you know, cause, you know, radar spoofing and, and everything else. Right. But where was that happening in relation to the Nimitz? And, you know, you're talking, I mean, even 2004, right? So incredibly sophisticated. They had incredibly sophisticated uh, you know, EW suites and counter EW suites, you know, on those vessels. So was it, was it something, you know, electronic, something scientific, or was it something uh, in terms of consciousness that, you know, people's minds were being spoofed and, and technology was being spoofed by something that, that you can't even detect. Um, that's what really boggles my mind because I, I looked at Nemesis and I looked at other things and I talked to Kevin Day about this and he was kind of like, well, you know, we were so far out to sea, right? And it's not like there were like, you know, uh, Russian or Chinese, you know, long range aircraft with EW capabilities, like, you know, um, you know, loitering around in the area. So how would that spoofing have occurred? That's it. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah, that, that's an and that's an endless treasure treasure trove of uh, of interesting uh, uh, analysis and hypothesis, uh, which is why Frank's able to keep going on it, because there's so much so much there the gift that keeps on giving um nathan um if there is one force who created humans uh, the various intelligences that compromise the phenomenon the universe and consciousness what is that is that god what is that what is that one force was that hmm. a, a person what, what was what is that force Oh, that's a big one. Um, oh, yeah, we're going. We, we figured we'd, we'd just give you a softball to knock it out of the park right now. We're going we're big. Uh, <laughs> yeah, these are. that's an excellent question. Um, it is. Um, it's a challenging one. Uh, I, you know, and this this has certainly been talked about in different circles that, that we traffic in. Uh, you know, kind of where does humanity come from? Um, are we uh, an experiment? Are we... Um, you know, kind of a modified uh, species that was native to this planet is humanity perhaps ubiquitous throughout the universe. Uh, you know, are we kind of the the primitive backwater for uh, you know sort of human development for whatever reason? And maybe they're they're humans that are kind of everywhere. Uh, wouldn't that be an interesting discovery? And in fact, if you look at the data itself uh, from people that have experiences, uh, you know. It, experiencing human-like beings is one of the most common interactions. Uh, so that raises a whole host of questions. Is that, are they appearing to be human just to make us more comfortable? Are they actually human? Uh, are, are they related to us in some form or fashion? Do they have a high uh, hand in our development? Um, you know, so I don't necessarily know the answer to that, to that big question, although I would say that you know, from my perspective on, on consciousness and, and it being fundamental to reality, at the root level, all of intelligence derives from this consciousness layer. And so you know, the emergence of intelligent beings is just something which consciousness does, you know, that it is not content to be uh, a singular sort of state, that it is... Um, a little bit disturbed in a way and in its disturbance it creates these uh individuated conscious agents to borrow a term from uh donald hoffman 
you know, so no matter what these sort of intelligences ended up end up looking like or behaving or, you know, where they end up being in the universe, they are just emergent uh, sort of fractal versions of this larger conscious entity. Um, so we're in, in that way, we are all interrelated to one another. You know, we all stem and come from the same, ultimately the same source. Um, and I think at least for me, that that's the most, um, you know, romantic and compelling narrative that I apply to this generally, because, you know, at the end of the day, uh, whether we discover, you know, it's, it's, it's th this being or that being, or the, this whole host of beings. Well, I mean, we're, we're all still in this experience of reality together. We're all, you know, kind of on the same playing field. What is the playing field? You know, where, where, where is it that which we all derive? Um, how is it that we all can can relate and connect? You know, the, these are the bigger questions that are more important to me than necessarily the, um, you know, the kinds of, uh, you know, headline grabbers of, you know, there's a saucer or this is what it does or all of those things are certainly important. But, um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm more concerned with the with the bigger picture. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if uh, if that addresses your question, but I think, uh, you know, my, my belief is that we're all connected. Yeah, I think you think there's one source. Deb, it is the, the God source that you saw, uh, yes. I, I don't know if that was in the cave or outside the cave, is that, do you think that's the source? Do you think that source created both the phenomenon, us, uh, consciousness as a construct? Well, I guess I think of it in an almost scientific way. I think that we're on the outskirts of understanding some of the science um, that's behind all of this, um, including, I, I've said before, I think there's science to consciousness. I think there's some understanding of quantum physics that we need to latch on to understand this a little better. Um, a lot of people are seeing similarities between all these entities that interact with humanity. And actually, some people have claimed that they share our DNA. So I have to wonder if there's some driving force right a source that has just kind of been experimenting <laughs> across the universe and and that everything is connected because of that and i think of what grant cameron said about like god was maybe bored you know god was like a consciousness that was bored and created all these things um to reach out and maybe some of them aren't done cooking in the oven so they don't have quite as much physicality or something but you know i think there's a potential that uh there's a system of things across the universe connecting all of it can it at least restore frank and my's hair i mean is that too much to ask you know if you ask I the mean, right person they might say mm. if you meditate enough <laughs> Maybe it could happen. Yeah. I'm going to talk to your, your partner, Priscilla. Maybe Frank. in past lives, you had such great hair. You were like, you know, we just want to experience what it's like not to have it for once. I look like John Travolta in yeah. Saturday Night Fever. Um, <laughs> Frank, what what's the source of, of all this? Uh, Frank, uh, we're going to go to, to close it out, we're going to go to uh, Frank K, then Frank C. What, what's, uh, what's the source of all this in your estimation? Have you thought about that? It's a heavy question, man. It really is. It's heavy. <laughs> it's, like it's, your music. It's heavy. 
um, yeah, I mean, I think what what I do tend to focus on as much as I find that that side of things absolutely fascinating. I do kind of tend to focus on things that like get into the bottom of the mysteries that we can actually perceive in whatever realm of reality we can perceive, um, which I think is probably the main focus of, of what I tend to look at. Um, but I think we've spoken about this before when I've been on, you know, on cab before and things, and, and we've spoken about it privately. I tend to like the, the, the kind of super spectrum kind of way of looking at things where, you know, perhaps that's linked to non-local consciousness and the fact that the actual consciousness that we kind of inhabit on a day-to-day basis is you know a small portion of what's actually there a wider reality and you know it, it could well be that you know whatever the phenomenon is or the phenomena are you know actually inhabits some of the parts of reality that we can't perceive and perhaps presents itself to us in whatever form that thinks we can relate to and it does that and that that sort of would you know things like shape-shifting ufos you know why you know entities appear in humanoid form it would kind of go some way to explaining those kinds of things you know a a, a kind of a, a an entity or an intelligence that sort of inhabits the parts of reality that we can't perceive and if it wants to interact with us it has to come down to our level to a certain extent i love it man that's a great way that that's our connection frank c take us home i second everything that um that frank said um more and more you know i initially started when i came when i, when I came back to this sort of 2016 i was thinking very much in terms of like nuts and bolts technology craft flying around but you know, then I started thinking back to my childhood and things like, you know, Rip Van Wrinkle, which is basically like, you know, it's like an abduction story, isn't it? You know, a bloke gets taken away and, you know, he meets some kind of like strange folk and then he wakes up and suddenly it's years later. Well, that's like kind of missing time, isn't it? Um, and if you look back to, I've talked to somebody about this, about uh, Iran, um, you know, battles between Alexander the Great and, you know, the Persians and, and uh, Dariush of Persia. Uh, apparently there were, you know, what they called at that time, you know, burning or bright, you know, bright burning shields that were present above the battlefield. Um, you know, I, I'm starting to think more and more that these are things that have been with us for, for a long, long time. And maybe are not from anywhere else, but actually either part of our reality have always been here with us on Earth or are something that slips in and out of our reality. They're in a, like a parallel reality. Um, and I don't know if it's like a parallel reality as in like, I don't know, they're coming from somewhere else and slipping into our reality or if they're existing side by, by side with us, but we just can't see them. Um, but mm-hmm. then it also goes into the whole thing, you know, about like, you know, ghosts and phantoms, phantoms and poltergeists, all that kind of stuff. I mean, is that part of it? I, I just don't know. I just don't know. But uh, I'm, I'm more and more leaning towards the fact that it's something that's all around us all the time. Some kind of like inv- inv- invisible fabric that sometimes we can touch, sometimes we can penetrate but they seem to be able to do with impunity when they want to, whoever they are. It also seems interesting that one people have an experience and then have multiple experiences and others don't, you know, I mean, I don't consider myself an experiencer, although I had a brief sighting. I don't know that that uh, the craft that I saw when I was younger knew that I was there or because it wasn't over the top of me and Nathan hasn't had one. I'm wondering if, if, if it, you know, because uh, some of the, the uh, people that are involved with uh, looking at cryptids and, and with the UFOs seem to have, and with ghosts, in fact, 
seem to have multiple experiences. I'm, uh, I wonder if I know Deb probably has thoughts about that, but um, you know, we gotta have we gotta yes. have another. Deb, did you want to did you want to weigh in on that, ma'am? I do. I have so many thoughts on this, so <laughs> I don't have time to go into all of them. But I I do think you know we're really like I said, getting closer to understanding some of this when we look at all the information and we look for the patterns, people will see the same thing. There's some kind of paranormal network. There's some kind of what I call paranormal internet sometimes. We are now plugging in. Some people are better at plugging in. Some people are better batteries. But Gary Nolan's work, the work of some other people coming forward and the work like what you know philosophers do to inspire science, all of that's gonna come to this at some point. Yeah, that that seems clear. Even if we don't have, uh, even if we don't have uh, the immediacy that we want from the disclosure aspect of it, I do agree with you that we're becoming more sentient on what's happening around us as a result of of conversations like this and with with one another. And I think that's kind of where um, UFO Twitter should be going is to just kind of kick around ideas because then things occur to you that. You hadn't, because I, Nathan, tell you. I mean, Deb probably tell you too. I could not see the, the connection between UFOs and ghosts, and now I see it. Um, I didn't know there was such a thing as Dogman. I thought that was like a fairy tale, and now I know that it isn't. <laughs> and some of these other uh, cryptids. So it, there's a lot of things out there that uh, come into our reality uh, based upon what factors I don't know. Um, and some people have, have them recurring and some don't, but Deb, how about, um, we say our goodbyes and thank our amazing guests, the two Franks. Thank you so much, Frank and Frank. We appreciate your wisdom and the sharing of knowledge. Of course, please continue to do all the wonderful things that you do. And we will speak to you again for sure. Um, guys, thanks very much for having me on and, you know, all the same uh, sentiments to you guys. It's been a, a real pleasure to be on and really nice as well to, to, to have my mate Frank on as well. Thank you. Yeah, yeah thanks very much, guys. I uh, love you guys. It's always great to chat. I could probably chat all night, but, you know, got to go to bed, mate. <laughs> got to get to bed, mate. <laughs> Nathan. Yeah, just uh, echoing what Deb, Deb says. Thank you both so much. And uh, we look forward to continuing the conversation. And how you lead the conversation in your own spaces uh, is uh, is very inspiring as well. And uh, here's to to the rest of this year and into 2023. Uh, and we'll be. Uh, I think uh, I'm seeing another somebody on the left. I'm seeing another mystery guest for the British invasion, which uh, we've got to schedule that episode. But I, I'm thinking that Frank Milburn coming in, throwing a hand grenade into that room, and then taking off um, will will be really good. Um, so, frag everybody. <laughs> All right. Uh, on behalf of, of Deb and Nathan, uh, I want to thank our guests, Frank and Frank, you guys are amazing and you're so cool. And, um, moreover, um, not only just having these discussions, but I think the way that we feel is we just have these sort of new friends that have become like our family. And I think that's at least half of this of why I'm here, at least half. Because the knowledge is great, but in a vacuum, you know, it's just it's just knowledge. Unless you're discussing and, and forming these bonds with people that you can call on the phone and speak with about it when something comes up or run something by somebody, 
that's my goal on um, on UFO Twitter and and uh, to have this sort of whole new family that I got to interact with the UK. I may see you guys again in January, the way it's looking right now. Um, and I thank you on behalf of uh, of calling all beings. Uh, this is DJ saying peace out, one love. Thank you, Jules. We'll see you down the road. And as always, we're wondering what's up around the bend. <laughs>